Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. Thou shalt worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. We chant that during a canticle that we sing in Matins. Actually, it's a psalm. It's Psalm 95. And since we sing the psalms on a daily basis, when we get to the day that uh, we pass Psalm 95, we just omit it because we've already sung it. We shall worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I want to ask you a question to start off with. And that question is, as this is not meant to be funny, why do you come here? Why do you come to this little place with these few people who come together to enter into offering Christ one sacrifice of himself once offered? Why do you gather in a group on Sundays and feast days when we have those? You know, why? What are we doing this for? We come together to engage in a particularly human activity that is known as worship. Now, many of you have done this since you were children. I certainly have. Perhaps for some of you, it's something which is quite new. And for those of you who have been raised in the Orthodox Church and have never had the good fortune to wander accidentally into a Western congregation, uh, it probably seems a little strange to you. And confusing. We give you books to follow and to sing from, but there is so much activity going on that frankly, you get lost in the books. And when Stephen and I picked some particularly glorious French chant from the 15th century to sing something to you, probably just give up and listen because you couldn't get through it at all. I think it is safe to say that most Orthodox know less about worship, although they're convinced they know everything, less about worship than many other parts of our faith. Even for those in the Western Rite, where at least we sing things that sound like hymns, we know little of the reason for the structure of how this whole thing ever got put together. And that's a problem, because people come, and they ask, and we can't give them an answer, and we look kind of foolish. You know, why would these people go to this place every Sunday and not have a clue as to what they are in fact doing? The word worship is a contraction of two old English words. Of, actually, it's a separate, yeah, and of one old English word, worth-ship. Worship becomes worth-ship. Worth-ship meant the activity that showed forth the worth that you placed on something that is very, very important to you. For us, the holy and undivided trinity. 
When people shake hands upon meeting, if, I think people still shake hands. It may have changed to Yogro or whatever, but you know, at least when I grow up, people shook hands. Uh, if people shake hands upon meeting, that's actually a show of respect. It's also a sign you're not carrying a knife in your right hand, which does no good if you're left-handed. But the fact of the matter is, it is a sign of respect. Back in the old days, and no, I was not alive then, when you met a woman and you wore a hat, you took off the hat as a sign of respect to the lady and as a sign of respect to all women, starting with the blessed mother of our Lord, Mary, or Miriam, as they actually called her. So we have, you know, this combination of an action and a concept. This is important to me, therefore I do something special in these circumstances, such as what was referred to back then as worshiping the lady. So notice three things in our definition of worship. Number one, worship is always an action. That is why there's so much getting up and going down, kneeling, sitting, standing, whatever. One minute you're standing, the next you're kneeling down, and soon you will be sitting to listening to a reading or to a sermon. Number two, worship is always a group activity. You can pray at home. That doesn't mean you won't pray in church. There are times when you do, but there's other things going on as well. But you can pray perfectly well at home without disturbing you or anybody else. You can meditate alone. You can read the scriptures alone, but you cannot worship in the sense that the Orthodox Church means worship alone. Worship is like the music of a great symphony, if that doesn't do it for you, the Beatles or Hootie and the Blowfish. It is the corporate best that we can offer to Almighty God. It's a group activity. And whether it is a great cathedral with a 50-voice choir and, or a tiny group in Atlanta with one canter, if that is the best that we can offer to God, it is to his glory and it is pleasing to him. Now, sometimes I think we get a little bit down. Now, we don't seem to be doing much. You know, there's not a lot of people trying to beat the doors down. Uh, there are reasons for that. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, when we come together like this, we become greater than the sum of our parts. We become more than we are when we are just alone. And God, you must remember this, is always happy with that. Third, group action, this group action, is always done to show that we value something highly. Not that we forgot to sign up for a Sunday ticket on, on DirecTV or have nothing else to do. I have Sunday ticket, by the way. I just record the games and watch them during the week. We can proclaim by orthodox worship the worth in which we hold Almighty God. 
At its purest, worship expects nothing in return. You know, when you're a priest, you often get people who will complain to me that, well, they, they're not getting anything out of the service, they're not getting anything out of the sermons, and I merely point out that they're not supposed to. That's not the reason you come here. You don't come here to get something out of it. Unless, of course, you come forward to receive from the Holy Chalice. You are here not to get something out of worship, but to give. Since when each of us something, there is always something all-important, it follows that there is no such thing as a person who does not worship something. We can never choose not to worship. That's an illusion. It's only a question of what will we worship. We can worship other people. And history is replete with examples from Napoleon to Adolf Hitler to Stalin to Pol Pot and many others that have led otherwise sensible people into committing horrible atrocities in the name of an ideology because basically the people worship them. Go back and watch some of the, you know, the recordings of Adolf Hitler addressing his adoring fans. We can worship a life's ambition, climbing over others as we try to reach the top. We can worship material security. We can worship power. We can worship our own bodies. These are all things, and when we worship things, our worship becomes idolatry. The person who does not worship God invariably winds up worshiping himself. How then? Can we change the worship of self to that of God? How can we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness? Sooner or later, each one of us has need of help from a power that is greater than our own. And when we come together in worship, we become greater together than we are alone. There is support. There is fellowship. And in this church, there is beer. G.K. Chesterton, a Roman Catholic, but very worth reading, read that the saddest moment in the life of an atheist came when he knew himself to be thankful and had no one to thank. There are people who are not grateful by nature, but I believe that there are few who can help crying out to God when every other avenue has failed. As it says in an old poem, Boson Bill was an atheist still, except and sometimes in the dark. Often it takes a sledgehammer of blows to drive us to our knees. I've always found it easiest to pray on my knees, perhaps because that's how I grew up doing it. But some of my profoundest spiritual realizations have been in that position. The simple fact is we are so hardened in our sins, the donkey needs a two-by-four. Years ago, uh, when I was in college, freshman, sophomore in college, there was a group of women 
at our the Episcopal Church I belong to out in California that would go around to listen to services and, and they were, you know, a little ditzy, but they liked me and I hung out with them. And we decided one Friday in Lent to go down to St. Mark's Church in Van Nuys, uh, where they had Stations of the Cross every Friday night during Lent. And I had I had been to that. I've been to another church. I said, yeah, cool, that sounds nice, because most of these time, that was a, 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 an improvement, but most of these time, these women just got to sing and praise the Lord and speak in tongues. So I figured Stations of the Cross was fairly safe. And we got down there, and of course, here we have to put them all on one more, but normally you have the Stations of the Cross all the way around the church. And as we came to, there are 14 stations, and we came, I think, to the 12th, which is the one where Jesus dies on the cross. At that particular station, everybody is supposed to kneel. I didn't have to be told to kneel. I hit the floor like concrete falling from 10 feet. I felt absolutely pressed down. And it was the first time in my life that I realized who had saved me. Now, I was 20, something like that. But it really was, and been in church, been in acolyte, all of this. But for the first time in my life, I realized what my salvation cost someone and who that someone was. And I couldn't get up. You're supposed to stand up again as you finish the prayer. I couldn't. You know, one moment, are you okay? I'm fine, fine. I couldn't stand up through the next, which was Jesus being laid in the tomb. I finally was able to get off my knees by the time we came to the last station, which was the finishing of, of the stations. Sometimes it takes something odd, different, but very powerful to get through to you what God is trying to communicate. How then can we change the worship of self to that of God? Sooner or later, each one of us is going to need help from him, from a power greater than our own, and we come together in worship, like I said before, we are greater than alone. Often the sledgehammer blow is the, is the one in which the profoundest real, realizations come. There is yet another reason why we must worship. There is within us, perhaps unrecognized, a strong desire to offer some gift to God as well. This is why the altar is the oldest piece of furniture in the history of the world. This is why it is, there was one place in the Jerusalem temple at God's direct instruction. Dig into the Roman ruins and you will find an altar. Dig further down to the Greeks and to the Egyptians and altars will come to light. Behind these are the Babylonians, the Sumerians, and the Druids, and there will be altars in the places where they lived. And behind these are rude stones and forest cairns signed by Neolithic and Ice Age altars. 
we have never been without them. It should be clear why this is so. An altar is not just a pretty piece of stone or wood, but the outward sign of an unchanging experience of all of humanity that calls for expression in each succeeding generation. The altar is the place where we make a humble gesture of thanksgiving for our blessings and where there is some way we can atone for our sins. At the heart of worship stands our need to offer sacrifice. That sounds like an anachronistic word. What does it mean for us? Each one of us is at some time or another tortured with a sense of guilt of our failings, whether we acknowledge it or not. There is in every one of us an agonizing yet creative drive to do something clean and fresh again. This is what a sacrifice is. A word in which, which comes, uh, as all good words do, from Latin, scarp facio, to make holy. That's what the word means, to make holy. We worship God because we need to give him the dearest thing we have in order to participate in his holiness. Our sacrifice is, as we will say this morning in the liturgy, to offer ourselves, our souls and bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. Here we come to give everything to God. These are some of the reasons that we worship. Observing this compulsion, the Greek Aristotle said, man is a worshiping animal. Orthodox would say, man is a worshiping animal who is trying to find his true path home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.